Hey fellow interior designers and design lovers, welcome to the ninth episode of the Daniel House Book Club. Together we're reading and discussing the eight books every interior designer and design enthusiast should have read according to Architectural Digest. I'm super excited about today's show because it will be the first time you get to hear from someone other than me. Our club member, Heather Martin of Meta Home, is joining me from Richmond, Virginia. She's told me she's been reading Elsie DeWolf's The House in Good Taste on her Kindle, but obviously I'm going to start our conversation with a pop quiz to be sure. Heather, have you read the book cover to cover and you're prepared for this? Well, first, I just want to say congrats on your ninth episode, and I'm honored and really excited to be a part of this conversation and a part of Daniel Haas Club. But to answer, you're welcome, to answer that question, yes, I've read the front and back cover and some parts in between since I got the actual book, and so I I got to move over from Kindle to a real book. (laughs) How does it feel to hold real paper between your hands? I love it. I was able to make notes and highlights. And And we're going to talk about three specific chapters, but would you just give us a little bit of your overall thoughts? Are you learning something? Are you? Of course, I always am going to learn something. Um, But I do like to, you know, it was interesting to hear how things have evolved in our world of design, as well as, you know, how things have stayed the same. Yeah, yeah. The book is now 107 years old. (laughs) And there's a lot of um, social change, to say the least. Um, So so there's plenty of ideas that um, really make no sense for us at all. But then there's others that are like, wow. And eight an AD um, said this is one of the top ones to read. They did. Are you are you questioning their opinion? <laughs> no, I was just curious where it came from. <laughs> no, yeah, I mean, I mean, Elsie DeWolf is a huge figure in in the world of our profession. Just, I mean, often credited as the founder of the. I mean, so many people are credited as that. So I think it's a little goofy to say, but. Yeah. Um, I think it it would be strange if they didn't include the work in. Of course. In I mean, she is an icon, if you will. Yeah. Yeah. Um, all right. So we're going to dig into what Elsie and her ghost writer, Ruby Ross Wood, have to say on the subjects of doors, windows, and chintz, the problem of artificial light, and the stairs and the hall. And we're going to attempt to weave these ideas together with some of Heather's own work in just a minute. But first, I have to say that I cannot think of a more appropriate guest to have for these specific chapters. Let me tell you guys that Heather gave me the best, most whirlwind tour of Richmond a few weeks back. I had only an afternoon to see a handful of her projects. She'd walk me through each one, and then we'd hop in our separate cars and drive to the next. As I followed her, she'd point at some special monument or building, then call me on her cell phone and tell me all about it. I had an inkling, but really did not understand what a special place Richmond is. As I started revisiting my trip and sifting through Heather's work to prep for our conversation, I realized her meta house, which she'll tell you all about in a minute, is in a neighborhood in Richmond called Church Hill. The neighborhood, its name, comes from St. John's Episcopal Church, which was founded way before the U.S. was even a country by a guy named William Byrd. Am I saying that right? William Byrd? Correct. Yes. Um, The local is helping me through this history. And um, anyway, Elsie doesn't reference a ton of houses that she's not involved in the design of, but she specifically talks about the beautiful stair hall at William Byrd's house, um, which is called Westover Plantation, in one of the chapters we're looking at today. Um, And Heather, I'm just curious if you noticed that connection too. And I have never been to Westover, so I'm hoping that maybe you can tell us a little bit about it. Well, I caught it for sure. Um, anytime I read anything and a reference to to this beautiful city that I call home or state, for that matter, is pointed out, or if I read it or see it, 
hear it, my ears and eyes, you know, perk up. So um, I can't say that I, I, I can't swear that I've been there because when, as, when you grow up here, there's so much history and so many beautiful um, homes that have some meaning in history in some way, shape or form. And so, uh, you know, as a little girl, I would go through all of them and it sounds uh, kind of silly to say, but there are so many plantations out in that area and it's hard to distinguish one from the next. Well, yes, but also like when you're, when you're that little and the homes are that, you know, grand. And uh, I mean, since I was a little kid, I've been, you know, design focused. So, you know, I think I'm just more like not necessarily whose house it was, but like, yes. you know, what was so grand or beautiful or, you know, what resonated with me. So, you know, when I was viewing the pictures that, um, online since my book does not have any pictures. <laughs> um, I don't know. What kind of book did I get? <laughs> yeah. then, you know, it was like a lot of those things were very familiar. So, you know, long answer. I'm not going to say yes. I've in yeah, definitely yeah, been no. there. But. Um, it's funny that you say as a designer, you weren't necessarily like whose house is this? You were more focused on what does it look like? Uh, one of my absolute favorite professors in college, I spent the summer with in London, and she would take us to the most amazing sites. And, you know, these are houses of royal seats. Yeah. And the, the people who um, volunteer to keep those houses open and show them to the public are pretty passionate about the people and those stories. And my professor would always walk in and some docent would be like, would you like to hear about the family? And she would be like, no, no, we're here to see the architecture. <laughs> um, so That's I totally, I totally relate. Sometimes I have absolutely no idea where I've been. I've just sort of taken it all in. Um, yeah. So, but we're going to talk a little bit more about Westover because it is specifically referenced and um, I'm just going to exit that conversation by saying I live in Portland, Oregon, and I'm often starved for history, and I'm mm. a little bit jealous of, uh, of your experience. We have incredible geography and some pretty good Art Deco, like low-key Art Deco fun stuff, uh, but nothing really old and, and grand. Um, so anyway, Heather, for listeners who may not be Familiar. I'd like it if you could tell us a little bit about your business and specifically how you folded short-term rental design into the mix um, and how it began with Meta House. And I'll just say that there was something about you listing your house on Airbnb and telling your husband that you had to like sleep at your friend's house because it had been rented. Um, so, so tell us about your origins. Well, I'm a designer by trade and it's been in my blood. My, I've been around it since I was little. Um, but I also have experience in furniture product development and that was my big girl job at the time in 2018, 2018. I left that big girl job and then um, while figuring it all out and What's what am I going to do when I grow up? I had a good friend who you know um, say uh, she recommended, why don't you try Airbnb this home of yours? And my husband actually was away on a trip, as you mentioned. And so I listed it on Airbnb. <laughs> and then, uh, yes, he came home and I said, don't unpack. We're going to go stay at somebody else's house. Fast forward, because I don't want to bore you with all the details. Um, we now have a collection of a of 11 um, boutique sh bespoke uh, short-term rentals, as I call them. I don't like to give Airbnb all the credit. Um, that soon will all become fully shoppable. And that's, you know, how we got 
in yeah. you know connected um and how i became a member of daniel house club yeah so, we, should, we should um mention susan uh susan does a lot of the marketing for daniel house club i think we think she's doing an excellent job and um susan and heather are good friends so that's how we've we've connected and um couldn't be happier about that yeah and susan's um company i mean she is amazing her company is epiphany and you have the experience of working with her but i mean she helps designers and architects and what have you get their message out and yeah. You know, I like to say I'm partial, but I like to say she's doing a good job. So um, it's always nice to hear. But she's, you know, she saw the vision. You know, I have product development. And, you know, she knew I design. And and so it, it made sense. But how the business has evolved has, um, you know, is been very surprising yeah um and really cool at the same time and you know not to just i don't want to keep going you know people can go to my website meta-home.com and that's m-e-t-t-a not the facebook m-e-t-a <laughs> um my phone is going awesome so uh, and what I, just on the topic of marketers, one more time, and because I actually think it is kind of relevant to Elsie DeWolf, I think she was a genius at um, communicating herself to the world. Um, I think designers often have a lot of sort of complicated ideas. Yeah. Um, and, and we can sometimes think, oh, we could do our marketing ourselves. Um, and... We'll be just great at that. Um, and, you know, having somebody great who can sort of distill your ideas into something that's communicable rapidly is, I mean, so, so important and so critical to growing your business. Absolutely. And I, I mean, just to that back and forth of, you know, the time that this book was written and how in most people's books, there's a lot of image <laughs> references. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, most people have pictures in their They're, you know, doing, cause I, you know, part of being slow and not reading the entire book as of right now is referencing, you know, going to the internet and seeing what those images are because it, it's like in brackets saying this image and they describe it. So I want to see it. Yeah. I have a, yeah, you know, picture in my head, but you know, she has a Pinterest board. I mean, <laughs> oh, does she? I, mean, I, I actually am not capable enough to navigate Pinterest, so I didn't. Well, I didn't know, but... so, well let's not go into that either. <laughs> you and I are on the same wavelength with uh, technology, I feel like so. Has um, a low a low ability for me. That's why I'm part of found, founding a um, online retailing business. For designers. <laughs> right. Did you want to help uh, that too? Yeah, exactly. All right. So, um, so you made your husband sleep at your friend's house. Um, the friend also had no furniture. I want to point out. I think you said uh, right. so. Uh, so he really loves you. Um, <laughs> Amen to that. We just hit nine years. So yes, I believe he does. <laughs> awesome. Awesome. Or he's a victim um, or both. Uh, all right. So we, we talked a little bit about, um, about Westover. We mentioned its mm -hmm. existence um, and we've decided that probably possibly neither of us have been there. Um, but okay. I am always most excited to talk about chapters dealing with floor plans. Um, mm -hmm. So I thought we'd, jump out of order a little bit and talk about the stair in the hall chapter first. Sure. Um, and let me say that when my husband and I scroll endlessly through real estate listings, he always breezes right by the pictures of the floor plan. And I'm like, hang on, I can't even imagine what this place is like or if I will like it. Um, and you raised your hand, so I'm assuming you identify with that a little bit. Yeah, mine's more like it, the flipping through the pictures and like, 
I can tell him what the floor plan is. Yes. Yes. Totally. I have to draw it out for him. Yeah. So, cause yes. a lot of the listings here, they don't, they don't, you know, newer homes, they will include the floor plan, but right. for the most part, you don't get, you just get images. And so I have to walk him through. Yeah. So that's interesting, but it, it's same. I just think, yeah. I think really spatially. So if I have just a collection of pictures, I'm like, I, yeah, I have to piece it together and sit there and draw what I think it's going to be like. Mm. <laughs> um, anyway, before we look at, um, Elsie, Heather, I was helping, I was hoping that you could give listeners a description of the Meta House's sort of spatial experience, starting at the front porch and passing through the front door and finding the stairs. And just so we're super clear, Meta House was your home and, and became, <laughs> once you forced your husband out of it, um, became your first short-term rental and it's sort of i think your signature property um and it is an old richmond row house former home and of of an upholsterer i think which is pretty cool um yeah. and so it might be even narrower than um the new york city row houses that we talked about last week which are you know 20 25 feet wide so it's a challenge to to fit a sort of elegant plan into that yes yeah, so I'd love to give you a little more. Um, like you said, it is a, a historic home. It is in Churchill. We touched touched on that. Um, it was built in 1895 um, by William Hudson. And as you mentioned, he was an upholsterer. His parents lived next door. And I know this doesn't give you the reference of what the home is like, but it our address has a half in it. So it it denotes that the parents broke off, you know, they're part of their parcel and the half is, was um, for William Hudson and his family, his growing family. And um, so that is why it's m more narrow than most. Um, so, it's more, so it's half the width of a standard Richmond row house? Uh, no, it just, the half is part is they broke off the parcel of land that okay. their home sits on. Um, and it's unique because the, the parents' home, Mr. and Mrs. Hudson, we'll call them, um, their house is, is more horizontal and ours goes, you know, way back. So it's really unassuming it's you don't really see much from the street there's a tree hiding it but what you do see is um once you approach the house it is all the like beautiful and old historic architecture that you would find around a porch you know lots of fretwork and um so forth and it has um when you walk in, there is a small vestibule for want of a better term for that little yeah. space. And then you walk right into the, to the living room, which has a working fireplace. It's, I think it's beautiful. Um, two windows, they don't get, it doesn't have a lot of light. Um, so I'm actually getting ready to do an uplift, if you will, on that vestibule because Thankfully, we're talking about artificial light. I'm not a huge fan of. Um, yeah. I love a lot of natural light. So I'm going to open that up a little bit. In a, Not open it up. I'm still going to keep the vestibule, but I'm going to add like an old door so that it can add some oh, light to it that's instead of the wall that's close, closing it off. Nice. Um, and um, later, I hope we'll talk about, but hopefully adding some marble to that floor there so when you walk in taking elsie's ideas uh-huh okay, <laughs> um but you walk in and like i said it's long and narrow so it, it, it seems like it's a hallway but then you're in each room as and right. the the flow is really cool i mean a lot of people that come in that are in our line of work architecture or design 
you know, just like, wow, this is the, the flow. It feels so good, but it's so tiny. Yeah. Yeah. It is really compact and it doesn't feel really compact. Right. Um, and the staircase is, it's not technically in the middle of the house. It's like a quarter of the way. Right. Once you enter, but it's open. So it's, I would call it a mini grand staircase because it does have a landing. Like, you know, she talks about it has the, um, the wood, you know, there's no carpet on the steps, that kind of thing. Yeah. Does that? And, and it's sort of interesting in that it cuts, um, it cuts sideways in the house. It doesn't, you know, right. standard row house, you often come in, you walk right into the stairs and they take you up to the next level. But here you walk through a space and then you turn to, to go up the stairs, which I think makes, it brings you in a little bit more. It's a little bit more captivating to me. And I think that's sort of what Elsie is indicating. I mean, you don't have all of the sort of segmented spaces that she is talking about in this chapter that make something feel super elegant, but you you have a layout that allows you to sort of position things in a way that you can still convey a story. Right. And, you know, just like at the end of that chapter in the um the stairwell um sorry i want to be i want to say it the right way halls and staircases sorry. at the very end she's you know talks about like that your hall doesn't have to be pretty um and i'm like why not <laughs> why does it ha i mean she says that you know it's just for the dwellers of the house or what have you to get from point A to point. She doesn't say point A to point B, but, yeah, yeah. and whereas I don't have the luxury of like, it's not a true hallway. It is, yeah. it, but it's a thoroughfare and you, you can see all the way through the house in this hallway in air quotes, if you will. Um, to the, to the back of the house, which is where the kitchen is. And so I'm like, I want to make it as pretty as possible. Um, yeah. Well, I mean, I think it's interesting in part, you know, you should have read the decoration of houses before you came on this show. I can't believe you didn't. No, I'm teasing. Um, <laughs> uh, but I will say that I think that the authors here are quite a bit more lenient on, on that. I think in the earlier book, they were sort of like absolutely the hall and stair must be the most austere part of a house. Um, and I, to some extent, I, I sort of get the idea, like um, you, you want to create a contrast between the spaces where you're moving. And I think it like pulls you into a space that seems really, really warm, like even more than, um, than it would if your, if your hall was equally wonderful. Um, however, I think, we live so differently yeah. than, than um, these people did. We're not we're not entertaining in the same way. We we aren't being delivered, you know, things on trays by our servants. We're in the stairs. You're not. I mean, I am, but uh, <laughs> but I, I mean, can tell that you're not. <laughs> I mean. Um, <laughs> And so I think I think that I can see that it maybe worked for some time, but um, but now I think having an inviting stare for just yourself is is a nice thing, right? Um, yeah, yeah. So so um, one thing I wanted to note about actually one thing I hadn't planned to talk about, but your um, your the fireplace in your entry slash living room mm -hmm. um, is really beautiful. I love it. Uh, it is at an angle, which in a few, uh, actually in our previous book, uh, the authors talked about how that can be a really sort of difficult layout to figure out how to put furniture next to. Um, <laughs> and I, I wonder if you might kind of say like, have you experienced that? How have you, how have you arranged so that it feels cozy and like you can enjoy the fireplace so 
first off, I have two like slipper chairs. They're larger than they look. Um, and so they huge benefit of a slipper chair in general. Exactly. Um, the but with being that it's now a short-term rental, I have to have enough seat. You you should have the amount of seating for the amount of people that you can sleep in your home. Right regardless if you have another living space or not, which we do. Yeah. Um, so that has kind of, you know, thrown a wrench in it a little bit. Uh, but I do have two slipper chairs on either side of the fireplace. They're, they're pulled out in a way that when you sit next to it, you're, you feel the warmth but you're not on fire. Um, <laughs> That's always important. Uh, yeah. And it's also a small room. So, you know, you yeah. don't really have anywhere else to put them. Excuse me, if you were. And so I wanted everybody to be able to have a conversation one and to be able to see the fireplace um, and then feel the warmth. And so I feel like I've come to a good, yeah, I mean, I think slipper chairs there are the thing that make absolutely the most most sense. And mm -hmm. uh, and how many people can you seat in that room? So on the sofa, you know, since it's a two over two, two. Okay. Yeah. Uh, four in the slipper chair. I have one chair at the like right as you walk in. Um, so that's five, and then my ottoman slash. Um, coffee table is upholstered and I like to say you could sit on that. And so that gives me six and we can sleep six. Perfect. Genius. Um, okay. And then the other thing I wanted to comment on is that uh, I feel like you've done a really nice job of, of um, giving us a sense of entry, even though we're walking right into the living room because you've got this beautiful antique cabinet uh, with a pair of lamps and two mirrors and just a simple cane back chair to sit down and put your, put your shoes on. Right. Um, and I, I'm curious, what was it like when you first found that space? Is, uh, did the previous owner have that same solution? <laughs> because this seems like something that should be natural. Um, but <laughs> no, um, <laughs> the I could somehow get you some before photos of I go back to them often um there were bikes hanging on the 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 wall as you walk into the left where I have my sofa yeah there were bikes and the desk up against the wall in the fireplace in the windows um, was a so you crashed basically right into storage and living space uh, sorry one more time <clears throat> you you basically opened the door and crashed right into some storage and some living space yes there was a, a drafting table at the front door where I have my two lamps and sideboard okay so an artistic person created it this way, is what you're saying. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, I, I think that you have you have made a radical improvement, <laughs> it sounds like. I like to think so. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay. What else can we say about Meta House? Actually, I want to learn a little bit more about your vestibule change because so oh. right now you have that... Um, you have your sofa in that room facing your fireplace and your two slipper chairs and your angled um, couch. And then you basically, because you have this square vestibule when you walk in, you have, right. I don't know, a nine foot, 10 foot little niche where you can put, put the sofa and it feels sort of cozy and protected from outside. So right. you're saying now you're going to have like a, 
a glass partition as opposed to? So I'm going to get an, um, a paned front door, an old vintage one. Um, and where the wall, so when you walk into the front door to the, in that little vestibule to the left is just some wainscoting and, um, and it's a wall. And so I will, and that will be on, on the left. So then I will put that door in there and make it so that we can allow some light in. Light to pour in. Thank you. The front door does get, you know, there's some great light from the front door. So I want to, you know, capitalize on that as best I can. And again, I'm not a huge fan of artificial light. Um, it had, it definitely serves its purpose. So I am not knocking it because there's some beautiful artificial light pieces. I'm not saying that at all. <laughs> yeah. 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 But as much as you can get artificial or a natural light. Um, yes. You know, that yes. is the, the preferred. Um, okay. So I think before we, we, um, leave the, the stairs and hall totally behind, <laughs> Um, obviously you said, um, that you're considering marble in the entry there. Um, we should mention, I've mentioned in previous episodes that Elsie's basically, uh, delivered the black and white marble floor mm -hmm. as an iconic piece of, uh, you know, New York city living. Um, what are you, what are you thinking for your, is it going to be white marble? What, what yeah. is the? I was just thinking the white with, you know, the gray veining, nothing, Pretty. you know, I just want it to be very simple. It's not a, you know, it's, as we've mentioned several times, it's, it's a tiny little space. So yeah, we don't need to get, don't get crazy. Yeah. I like to get crazy, but yes, I've seen you like to get crazy and good crazy. Right. Um, Okay, and then I want to go back to Westover just one more time um, because uh, Elsie mentions in this chapter the sort of quintessentially American layout, and she's talking about Westover Plantation, um, which is this center hall that divides the house in two um, with all the main rooms sort of on either side of the hall, and, and that center hall contains the stair and the front door. Um, and she talks about Westover specifically um, partially because of how old it is. I mean, it was built in the 1730s, 1740s. Um, right. and, and, and really, uh, because of that has some of the most articulate detailing of any of these center halls that we have in our country. Um, so it has these really beautifully turned spindles on the stairs and this very deep, um, wall paneling in, in the, on the walls. Um, and I follow, uh, it used to be religiously less now. Um, but I follow the Portland based designer, um, Jessica Halgerson, who is really, really good at showing the floor plans and details of her, um, projects. And she, I remember this one time she shared, um, some samples of spindles that she was, um, considering for a project and she'd had a shop create two different ones. And she was just explaining how this, I think it was like an eight inch difference in the taper on, on that spindle. And I mean, the two things looked absolutely nothing alike. It, and it's amazing what an eighth of an inch difference in a tiny detail can do. And this spindle uh, choice could define and would define the entire space that she was about to um, create. And so... Um, I'm just sort of curious because the projects that I've seen of yours are all in these pretty Richmond historic spaces. Mm -hmm. um, what happens when you are faced with a with a not historic space or with a space that doesn't really have architecture already set? What you know? How do you deal with that, and how do you get a client to see that maybe it needs to be? Uh, so I like to say we add some, 
because yeah. it you really need something to make it special and to give it life and and I know that sounds cliche give it life but for it to feel unique and special um so I have um a previous project I put together some imagery of some some things uh, but in a very historic town in Virginia called Charlottesville. We have a property that I did a renovation. It's been a year this week, crazy. Um, and it's just a little bungalow, 1940s. It's not, there was no architectural, uh, anything special about it. And so, um, and, you know, to, to, to stay within a, a reasonable budget. I added some board and batten and painted it pink. Um, (laughs) So to give it, you know, just some interest and it's also utilitarian because it has some dowels on it where you can hang um, some, you know, coats or what have you. Um, You've you've got those images now. Do you want to share? Yeah screen so for listeners we will post this on our social media and on our blog um so you can go visit um danielhouse.club and go to the um bulletin tab and we'll put these images up but um yeah share okay so i am techno technology challenge just taking me just a moment that's okay think I have it up and if I don't I can um certainly send if them you don't, we'll 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 post them and um we'll, yeah we'll carry on it sounds really I love the idea of pink board and um batten that sounds very sweet um, yeah. is it throughout the whole space it's, it's just at the entry um okay. and then I did some white in the bathroom um to give some interest also like i said utilitarian so the image that i'll share with you uh, just keep in mind this is for short-term rental so we have to show them how they can use it um so there are coats on it um that sounds even better yeah (laughs) (laughs) um i mean i like i I think images are so much better if they convey a real sense of life um something pristine um can i just share one thing before we move i know like we're probably too 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 far down the road but um just one thing that i really liked um that again towards the end of the chapter um she was uh, she, she well they i should say they ruby and um elsie made reference to that no matter the size of the house that your um that your house should have a place where everyone can sit down and be calm yeah and i mean i i have to say i wholeheartedly agree yes um and you know with my business being called meta home meta meaning loving kindness and benevolence part of that is taking care of yourself in this chaotic world. Yeah. I mean, I think um, both this book and the previous book, while they're really writing about super formal houses, both are saying, you know, if you only have one room, one living room, it, it can't be like a showroom. It has to be the room where you feel comfortable flopping down at the end of the day and, you know, eating dinner at the coffee table, if that's how you live. Um, it has right. to work. Um, so I think, yeah, thank you for bringing that up because, um, it cannot be said enough. Uh, yeah. I, and so I just couldn't let us go on. <laughs> so. I, mean, I honestly think that that is sometimes why designers and clients, um, clash a little bit because I think there are a lot of designers who are not, um, I think as you grow and you do this a lot, you you get to know that you're creating for people to live their lives. But I think when you're very young 
or very new, you're, you're thinking a lot about what is the picture going to look like when this is all finished. Um, and I, it's fair because that's how you get a, the next job is creating a beautiful um, portfolio. But you you must create what what your client is going to feel happy coming home to. You know, and I think that I'm so glad you said that because last night I was leaving a, a client meeting and, you know, I even said to myself, you are not doing this for anything other than them and they have to live there. Yeah. And, you know, I tend to push as far as like, you know, outside of people's comfort zone, not, yeah. not, not being pushy in, you know, well. I mean, I think I think I can say we can talk all day about the importance <laughs> of them living there. It's also, it's to some extent, the reason you're hired is that they know that they don't have the taste or nuance to do it themselves. And so sometimes you do have to be pushy and say this. I am confident that you will like this when it is all in place. And, and I, I have done that, but I, I just walked away from that conversation because we were really talking about floor plan in a old historic home. And, you know, so I just had that conversation with myself, you know, like, and I'm not, I'm not new. So I think, yeah. you know, yes, we're all trying to make sure that the image is, you know, that's our job is to make sure that we can live in it, but also that, you know, why you're hired. So yeah. anyway, I'm just glad you said that because I literally was having that self-talk last night. <laughs> um, I've had it so many, so many times. <laughs> um, yeah. Uh, it's great to know that others are experiencing the same things you do. <laughs> yes, it is. Right. <laughs> okay. Let's, let's move on um, to the chapters that we skipped. Um, and talk a little bit about um, the chapter called Doors, Windows, and Chintz. And specifically with you, I'm really excited to talk about chintz. And, and I'll say that I did not see any overt chintzes at the Meta House when I visited. But I know that you love patterns. I can see that you have kindly sat for this interview in the room that I said I liked the most. Yeah. Um, and I, I love that paper and I uh, tell us about it in a minute. Um, but one thing I want to say is that you seem to be a designer who is able to create space using pattern, which I think a lot of people are like, oh, we could put pattern on a pillow or we could put pattern on this chair. But um, uh, I, I think Elsie talks a, a bit about the spatial impact. And I think you you have a good sense of of how to do that. So so yeah, what is the pattern you're sitting in front of and um, what 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 possessed you to, to choose it? Um, well, as I mentioned, I need, um, I, I have a drive to push the envelope um, and I love pattern. And um, so the wallpaper is Tebow and I'm trying to remember I had it written down so that I could <laughs> tell you because I had a feeling you were going to ask me and um, it's, it's okay. <laughs> we'll, we'll, we'll write about it. Uh, it's nerves. Uh, yeah. But Tebow is, I mean, so consistently cool. Um, yes. And I've got it. It is um, Panthera P as in Paul, A N T H E R A. Awesome. Yeah. And so it's basically like a blue cheetah print. It is. And, it, and yeah. I like I like its white background mm -hmm. uh, because, I mean, I know that lots of designers love cheetah print. I actually hate cheetah print. Like, uh, <laughs> like when I walk into a room, I'm like, oh, I want to vomit if I see that. Um, but it looks so fresh and like sparkly in your room. Thank you. And I love how you've combined it with this green leather um, chair. <laughs> and, and one of my favorite palettes is green and blue. And it doesn't necessarily have to be the hues that you have there. Mm -hmm. I think it's one of the most underrated color palettes. Um, I agree. 
and it always looks fresh. Um, Peter, what's your favorite green and blue color palette? Just curious. I mean, I like, I really love like peacock green and like a really deep inky blue. Mm. Um, But I mean, I like, I have cobalt behind me. I painted this cabinet cobalt. um, And I I like that color with like a hunter green. I mean, there's really no, (laughs) there's no combination that I don't like. I I was just curious if you had a go-to. I mean, like not go-to, but like your. Yeah, well, um, everyone sort of teases me because almost every object of clothing that I am gravitating, that I gravitate towards is, is like olive drab. Um, (laughs) And it's, I mean, you can get, everything comes in that color. (laughs) So you can end up just being an olive drab blob walking down the street. But Um, you're not. (laughs) Thank you. Thanks. Um, I try to try to stay one step away from that. Um, Yeah, that's, that's definitely my, my favorite. Um, Okay, we've gotten... I know, we're way off. But I wanted to say um, that Elsie has a great quote in her, um, in this chapter. um, And she's sort of talking about, um, she's working in a time when chintz is sort of a, believed by her clients to be sort of a lesser material. Um, You know, in high Victorian design, heavy Mm -hmm. velvets and damasks and things like that were the go-to. And and she would always try to persuade people to use chintz. Um, And she said they were unwilling to give up the glories they knew for the charms that they knew not. Mm -hmm. And I honestly, I find this to be to remain true, obviously not of heavy velvet curtains and what, and whatever, but, um, by the time somebody can afford to hire a designer, I think they've become sort of very serious about, um, what their house is going to be like. I mean, not, not universally, but, um, and it's a huge expense. So people want to be, they want to do what, what is, what feels safe to them. Um, and so, so how do you kind of help somebody, uh, take the daring step to put blue cheetah print behind, uh, um, their very traditional architecture and interiors and Mm. furniture? Uh, what, what, what is the conversation? Well, the conversation is, you know, I totally understand it's your home and you have to live here and, you know, all the things that we just talked about. Um, But at the same time, like you just, you also said is, you know, they've paid me, they've hired me to, to do what I do best. And what I do best is, or I feel like I do best is, you know, push that envelope a little bit and help people step outside of that box. And that is with print and, and, and patterns. And so if they are feeling that, uh, hesitation, um, always a, um, a rendering mm-hmm. is helpful so that they can, in, you know, vision it, um, you know, saying, okay, well, let's find, you know, a smaller space, like a powder room that you can do this. So it's not the investment that you would if you did a whole room in cheetah print um, or, you know, uh, still have pattern, but not make it so over the top. Yeah. Um, And so the conversation I usually win um, and it's not a combative conversation, so I, I don't want it to sound like that. But uh, um, it, when I can give them very good visual, um, yeah. because they've seen what I've done, hence they've hired me. So um, it's so it's, uh, it's so important, I think, for us to remember that um, so there's a very small part of the population that's visual. Um, Right. You you can see this picture perfectly in your mind's eye. And it can be very you can almost feel like you have a communication 
disability because you you see it so perfectly and you're like what but why can't you see this <laughs> and um and, and they can't um and i i think i'm i'm in front of a spreadsheet i basically want to cry i cannot consume information in that way so, uh, somebody needs to sit next to me and they need to help me go through every line um if i'm really going to get the data that i need um so i i it helps me to think as hard as that is for me that's how hard it is for this person to see what i'm what i'm seeing um so when you say you create a rendering, what is your method for that? And um... I'll sub that out. I do not have time to do that. But you know, very detailed so that they can create them um, with the vision and all the information. Um, okay. So, you know, but I also, to kind of jump back, you know, I tell them that I'm not designing to be trendy. I'm designing to get to uh, translate what I'm hearing from you that you envision for your space. And I think that was like going back to the quote that you read. I mean, you know, she's the chintz, she became known as the chintz decorator. Yeah. And like, she didn't care, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. You have to not care. You know, she just knew that it, like she was doing her clients doing them well yeah um by bringing chintz into their life which i wholeheartedly agree everyone should have some in their life in some way shape or form i, uh, I, cannot, I cannot persuade my husband to agree with that i had a chair and he put it on the curb uh, <laughs> I mean, there was a, there was a conversation it wasn't like i came home like you, you know like someone who rented their home out um like yeah. you did. It wasn't like that. No, I'm too. Um, <laughs> you mean I should have been put on the curb? Is that what you're getting to? <laughs> no, no, I would never say that. Uh, uh, okay. All right. We, we're we're coming up on an hour of conversation and people are probably tired of hearing our voices. Um, no, I'm teasing. They could never be tired of us. Um, <laughs> I, I think, though, that um, I wanted to say uh, just one, I would just want to touch on her conversation about window coverings really quickly, um, because I think, um, as I thought in the previous book, we covered the decorations of houses that, you know, you come to this formal book about really fancy spaces and you think, oh my gosh, all my curtains are going to have like 700 yards of fabric and all this kind of stuff. And Elsie and Ruby are really like, keep it simple. Mm. elaborate curtains are dumb um and you know you can look at some of their pictures and their curtains are more elaborate than we make them today i mean it's it's sort of like are you really talking about simple curtains i, um, I, I that was what i was thinking i was like how can that be but yeah. to point out she did say some of her chintzes that she used on her window coverings 20 cents a yard so i mean <laughs> Yeah, I mean, we might have to adjust for a hundred years of inflation. Um, Correct. But yeah, that's a nice, that is a nice price. Um, well, I think, you know, she's writing after they had immovable curtains with tons of, um, you know, tassels and things like that. And she yeah. thinks, that's, that's just crazy. Um, but uh, sometimes she's saying you don't need curtains at all. And just a nice sheet of Swiss muslin is is perfect. Um, and I, you know, that sounds beautiful to me. One thing I noticed in your projects, and I don't, I, I only experienced your short-term rental projects, um, was that you use a lot of um, just really plain um, bamboo or reed-looking Roman shades, which is like one of my favorite type of window treatments. Um, and actually at Daniel House Club, we sell like, tons of these woven paper roller shades that kind of look like wicker um and it's mostly because i put them basically in every room that yeah. i can especially when there's not a big budget for for window coverings they're so simple um they come in a bunch of dimensions 
and the budget could be $1,000 for a whole house instead of 30. Uh, so, so a, what is your source for those shades? I love them. And what are some of your, when do you feel like you need to get more complicated than that? Um, so I'm glad to hear, I know that you have them at Daniel house club because I just put them in my cart for this job that I'm working on because they told me they didn't need window coverings. And so like there again, the conversation. Um, so I feel like they are such a good, as you pointed out, uh, texture for the window. Um, I, I use them in my short-term rentals mostly because of budgetary, but also, um, <clears throat> excuse me, I, like I said, I feel like they give a really nice texture and sadly curtains need to be cleaned a lot yeah. and they're a lot more upkeep. So for a short-term rental, it's just not as um, practical. Though for, you know, my design projects, that's definitely, you know, I like to mix both actually. Um, Cause I feel like. You'll, will you layer them? You yes. Both on one window? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. And so my source actually now that, you know, I'm a member at Daniel House Club is, would, I mean, the price point is amazing on the ones that, are there and um so i was really happy to see that um good 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 yes they so, are inexpensive yeah we don't need to go into the other sources because really why would you ah uh, that's very generous of you heather thank you <laughs> uh, um we know there are other places to shop as well uh but we don't need to pay attention to them um, it's just helpful for designers to get it all under one roof, though. So it, it really um, is. It, it helps with the logistical paperwork and all of that. With, so. with the logistical nightmare that we try at Daniel House yeah. to help you avoid. Yeah. Uh, um, okay. So let's leave curtains and windows and doors behind um, and just go to the last chapter that we're going to discuss, which is a pretty short one, and yeah. it addresses the problem of artificial light. Um, and um, it's interesting because this they're writing sort of early in the era when you really have to be planning electrically for um, where your lights are going to go. And they have all the same problems we continue to have. Like this light switch is too close to the door opening for me to even fit a casing on here. Or uh, I, why is it, why is the switch in the middle of the wall? Cause my painting was going to go there or, you know, all these silly things that we, we really need to dial in if possible before, but sometimes we are coming to a space where there isn't a budget for an electrician to be hired to redo all this stuff. Um, and we need to be creative. Yeah. Do you encounter that situation? And and what are the, some of the ways that you've dealt with electricity being in the wrong spot? Well, so I'm lucky. I'm an electrician's daughter. <laughs> Perfect. You just and the electrician. Exactly. So I don't call my father for that. Um, but all the gentlemen that used to work with him, I keep in touch with them. And they are like, um, and they not to toot my own horn, but they always say, we love working with you, Heather, when you bring us in on projects, because you have that understanding. I mean, I, I grew, like I told you, I grew up around this. So I know why it's being done. I know why, you know, blah, blah, blah. Um, except when I come in after a renovation and, you know, a client's purchased a home, like I just recently wrapped a project and I had to call my electrician and say, hey, can you move this thermostat? Because they put it on a wall, but there was nowhere else to hang any art. Yeah. Um, so that job, like, literally is was a couple hundred dollars. So I would always say, A, obviously get creative with artwork or wall coverings. You know, wallpaper is one of my favorite ways to disguise certain things. But um, 
and call your electrician or call an electrician. It may not be as expensive as you think just to move a switch or something. Um, that is absolutely the advice that I hope that you, you would give. <laughs> I think that's the best advice too. I mean, just spend a couple hundred dollars. It's, yeah. it's not a big deal. Um, uh, okay. Then the other part of this chapter that I think is worth talking about is how, um, and this, I think not a lot of designers pay enough attention to, um, is having a light source at all heights in a room. Mm. I I mean, there is nothing less pleasant than, well, there, um, murder and that sort of thing is worse. But, <laughs> um, but in the house and all of the light is coming from the ceiling and it is just blasting you. And then you sit down on the couch and everyone's face is covered in shadows and they <laughs> all look like witches. I mean, that can be avoided. Hey, Peter, you are so funny. <laughs> I, yeah, well, I'm trying to be as comedic as possible about a very serious topic. It is serious. No, it is serious. And 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 so their their sort of method is that light needs to come from all sorts of different sources, and and that all these things that are producing light can look quite different from one another, um, because if you solve the problem by having like ten lamps in a room, then it looks like you are are having an estate sale. Um, so lamp emporium. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you don't want a lamp emporium. Equally, you don't want a warehouse feel. So they are like, wire a candlestick, wire mm -hmm. a jar. Um, and you know, people still exist to do those things. There are uh, 10,000 SKUs of lighting on Daniel House Club, um, which is to say, there is no shortage of lighting in the industry of interior However, um, I think one thing that I really like about some of the solutions they're providing, particularly the candlestick one, is that a candlestick takes up like three inches of width. You can put that thing anywhere. And it doesn't have to be like a sterling silver candlestick from 1900. There are cool people making new crazy looking oh. candlesticks. And if you bought one and wired one, I think that would be extremely unexpected, extremely fun, and just preserve provide a warm glow that would totally change a mm -hmm. space. Um, this is me talking at you. <laughs> what are your, what, what are no, some things you've... I mean, I'm with you. You know, I'm in this historic house, the Meta Home, and, you know, the overhead light, I told you I, I'm not a huge fan of artificial light. It's really, I'm not a huge fan of overhead light. Um, it does, it does serve a purpose, can lights, you know, all of that. Um, I tried to go back to the house and, and, you know, historic looking lighting. And then, you know, to, to layer the lighting, like you said, is, you know, overhead light there is, and then table lamps and, you know, floor lamps and for reading or, um, if you, if you call your electrician and have him wire, you know, sconces so that you can swing arm. Um, but I haven't had the opportunity to get as creative as, you know, wiring candlesticks, but, you know, I love to do that. It's just a, from a timing and a resource perspective. Um, yeah. Plan. yeah, but our, our wonderful friend, um, Susan gifted me this really cool bell jar and it literally is like a socket with a, an orange um, extension cord. And it is, it, it's so cool. And it's in one of my um, properties that you didn't have the opportunity to see. And awesome. So, yeah. Cool. Well, I think it is time for us to shut up mm -hmm. and um, move on, but I just want to, Thank you so much, Heather, for taking some time to chat with us today. Um, for our listeners, go check out meta-home.com um, and consider, I think, maybe booking a stay at the Meta House someday yeah, come. in Richmond um, because it's awesome. And uh, and I think Heather does a great job of, of um, providing all the accoutrements that you would 
<laughs> absolutely want when you're staying away from home. Thank you. Um, yeah. So any any famous last words or um, we'll talk to you when we talk to you. Yes. Um, thank you for having me. It was it was fun. I appreciate um, being considered to yeah. be the first guest. I hope that you will read the whole book, but if you don't, fine. <laughs> What's the next one? Add a little bit of a charge to your next shopping cart. Um, no, <laughs> the next one is, um, it is, oh, you shouldn't have quizzed me. It's by a guy named Joseph Albers, and it's about, it's more about color theory. Oh. But it's cool, and I have a couple of really, really exciting guests. Great, we're gonna join. So, um, oh, cool. yeah, I am excited, and um, I think that should be a great learning experience. So, all right, have a great Friday evening, Heather. Yeah, um, and I'll talk to you soon. Okay, take care. Thank you. Bye. <laughs> Thank you.